Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 71, the one about banner ads, filmmaking mistakes, women in tech ebook, and the Rings of Power TV series. Let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content, and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, my co-host is a man on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio Podcast. Please welcome Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Well, thank you so much. As always, the highlight of my week, spending time with a man who's also on a mission to keep marketing simple. The voice of the Marketing Finance Podcast and the author of Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans, I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much, Pascal. And this is episode number 71. That definitely feels like a milestone again. Well, actually, to be perfectly honest, I think everything beyond 50 felt like a milestone. So thank you so much to everyone who supported us and listened and watched the show over the last couple of years. We're really, really proud of what we've achieved, but more so, we're really proud of the feedback that you keep giving us on the content in this show. So thank you so much. We really, really do appreciate it. Pascal, we have got a bit of a treat today. In the film marketing section of the show, towards the end of the show, we're going to be talking about the Lord of the Rings Amazon Prime TV series, which is being trailered across the world at the moment. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, something very different for us because we are catching the marketing campaign at its early stages. Typically, and I will review it near the end or many years later. And we have been very patient as fans. It's been announced about five years ago that uh, this would be a reality. I can't actually imagine that I was able to wait five years, but this will be going live worldwide on the 2nd of September. And we thought it'd be fun to just look at what they've done to date. And the really uh, something that you're now going to consider this being the most expensive TV series ever. Could this be the one marketing campaign to rule them all? Oh, very clever. I see what you did there, Pascal. I see what you did there. Okay, but we've got quite a lot to get through before we get to film marketing. So we should we start, as we always do, with In The News. And we begin with Camelot, who's lost its national lottery license to Allwyn UK. Despite a successful few years during which Camelot managed to turn around declining sales, increase its brand reputation and deal with the impact of COVID-19. According to research by Riphonic, too many podcasters could be ignoring TikTok. Twitter is significantly overrepresented across all podcasts, but TikTok is by far the highest number of average followers. Well, it so happens that Twitter could be working on a podcast solution, as a number of users have reporting spotting podcast codes and tabs on the platform, according to podnews.net. Sell yourself as a brand. Sky TV is ditching CVs in favour of videos. In a bid to connect with underrepresented talent, Sky is asking potential recruits to apply via video. No CVs or marketing experience required. 
Mm, well, the NHS Get Vaccinated campaign was the most popular ad among UK consumers in 2021, according to new figures from System One and ITV. And TikTok again. TikTok has become the official partner of the 75th Festival de Cannes. The International Film Festival hosts members of the movie community every year. The platform will provide exclusive content from behind the scenes, red carpet coverage and meetings with artists. Tourism Island celebrated St. Patrick's Day with a scandable billboards campaign that promoted Irish music culture. The international campaign took place in locations across London, New York, Sydney, Milan. And finally, the restaurant group TRG, owner of the casual dining chain Wagamama and a portfolio of other pubs and leisure businesses, has grown its total sales by over £200 million over the course of 2021, from £459.8 million to £636.6 million. The business highlights food innovation, marketing activity and growth in delivery and takeaway as the key customer initiatives that have driven such successful growth for the brand. Wow. Now, very quickly, I'm really interested in the St. Patrick's Day scannable billboards, purely from the point of view that, you know, a couple of years ago, Pascal, um, Q codes were deemed to be the devil's work, weren't they? I think somebody may even co have coined the phrase that every time you click a Q QR code that a kitten dies, <laughs> that was the sort of the way that people – but now – we suddenly seem to have found a way of actually successfully integrating QR codes into everyday life. And I wonder whether it is because of the pandemic. Well, two things. We reported the trend about a month ago in, in the news, but it was more of a global statement. Now we have practical examples. Um, actually, when you go online, Roger, because obviously we didn't live anywhere near the, where the billboards were, but online people have taken pictures, even they took pictures on social media. And now, with the advance of mobile phone and Google Lens in particular, it is so much easier to scan those QR codes. So back in the days, you had to have a separate app altogether, and it wasn't particularly working well to link you to the internet. Now, the barriers are being removed, but I spotted now on so many TV adverts, and I don't watch TV a lot, so when I see an advert, I tend to almost think, could I use that for the podcast? And <laughs> there's not one product at the moment in time that doesn't close with a five second of a, almost like a static image and the QR code on the top left corner. Yeah. So if you were applying for a job, Pascal, now, traditionally, we've all had to put together a CV, haven't we, you know, on paper and, and send, that, send that off to your prospective employer. But here we've got Sky TV saying it's ditching CVs and wanting people to apply on video. Now, I think that's fine. It fits in with the world that we live in now, and everybody has a video camera built into their mobile phone. So putting together a video isn't actually a, a, a difficult thing to do. But I did it just got me wondering, what sort of video is the thing that's going to make you stand out to Sky? You know, is a, a portrait sort of TikTok-type singing thing going to be enough, or are they going to be looking for professional landscape shots that are quite obviously put on a tripod with good lighting so it's not just about the video is it it's what you actually do with it interestingly uh though i have no intention to apply sorry sky my imagination is going completely wild in terms of scenes so i think if someone is listening and he's thinking actually about not just sky but other industries 
where they want you to apply via video. I've heard, for example, particularly during the pandemic, where people would be sent a questionnaire and they had to recall their answers to camera, which I thought was asking a lot of people, you know, because it's not necessarily something you, you can do very naturally. But I'm thinking about the scenes, telling maybe your story, your career path, maybe going back to where you used to work and have them as a backdrop. So you could do so many kind of clever, innovative things. And I, I've got a feeling that's what the recruits would be looking for, someone who's really gone out their way to tell the story. And they will ignore, forgive me, Roger, the shaky cameras and the silence one, because they'll say, well, that we can sort out. But what we can't help you with is imagination. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember way, 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 way back to when I was just graduating from um, from college. And one of my friends wanted to apply to work for Virgin, which in those days was pretty much just the record store as opposed to the airline and just about everything else that they do now. And he thought it would be a really good idea to... And he got, a, he got a great big circular piece of paper the size of an LP. And he wrote all his CV details, almost like the groove on a record. So he started in the outer corner and he started writing and he went round and he went round and you know where I'm going until mm. he finished the CV in. And we all thought, wow, that is just an incredibly creative thing to do. And he sent this thing off and got a rejection letter within about two days. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got to be thinking about the, the user experience as well. Um, one that I know actually was somebody was trying to apply and didn't get a, a reply. So they actually sent a little parcel which had a SIM-only phone with a card mm. saying, I'll be calling you at 4 p.m. today. Please you know, answer my call. <laughs> and he got the job in the end because the boss there was so innovative again and so daring. And um, yeah, I, I think video in addition to the written form, as opposed to instead of, is probably where I would be at the moment. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, TikTok has come up quite a lot in the news mm. today, and I just wanted to get your opinion on this whole TikTok being the official partner at the Cannes Film Festival. Now, obviously, we have a massive love of films, but goodness me, TikTok seems to be getting its nose in everywhere at the moment. Well, quite over the last few months, we reported them being the sponsor of uh, sporting events, of cultural events, and so on. This one is fascinating because this is ultimately about the big screen, about the long-form content we're celebrating, 75th year as well. We may do a special, mm -hmm. just thinking mm -hmm. out loud here, Roger. And here we are, TikTok, which is really the domain of the small screen and the short form, even though last we reported that they extended their, their length of video to 10 minutes. But is it in and around this idea of be able to sneak in the behind the scene, the red carpet coverage and, and Q&As with the artists and so on. Is it actually that the mobile phone is the medium? Um, what I will say is that this that juxtaposition, and I'm going to say just because it's a statement of fact, TikTok being a Chinese, obviously, creation, I think there's going to be some uh, pushbacks in some circles, no doubt. I think you're probably right. With the, with the way the world is at the moment, I wouldn't be surprised at all. But it's very, very interesting. And again, it comes back to that creativity, doesn't it? Mm. There seems to be a lot of creative stuff happening on TikTok at the moment, beyond the usual singing videos and, and pointing, pointing <laughs> and, at words and that appear on the screen. And shuffling, absolutely. And finally, just really to follow up on a news item from a few episodes ago, we did mention Mam Wagamama a few weeks back, Pascal, when they had one of their brand statements for 2022 uh, and, and 
and beyond was that they wanted to have 50% of their menu would be plant-based. And I think I said at the time that I tried some of their um, fake squid, which was actually made out of um, oyster mushrooms, and it was absolutely delicious. And it just seems that all of their attention, not only on plant-based food, but also on focusing on food innovation and the marketing activity that goes with it is obviously paying dividends for their bottom line. I think what is probably probably implicit in this news item, Roger, is the speed of execution. Something tells me, just, you know, again, I don't have the, the, the hard data and the science, but I know enough about Wagamama being a huge fan like you. I've got a feeling it was about the speed of execution where there was probably not many hoops to jump through to get the boss to agree and to, to get the thumbs up to go ahead. Because ultimately, when you are in that domain, you don't have weeks and months to think it through, deliberate and so on. If it's a good idea, don't wait for perfection. I would imagine by the marketing, even the food innovation, just move fast and almost iterate, almost like an agile production of a uh, of a tech system with feedback from the customer yeah absolutely so once again lots of great news items and actually we could have we could have spoken about all eight of them but we knew do need to move on pascal so shall we move into our content spotlights In this section of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table a piece of content. It could be a video, it could be a podcast, it could be a written article, and we go into it in quite a bit of detail. So, Pascal, what have you got for me this week? So, this week it's a video back from the team at Film Riot, you know, my go-to experts for all things storytelling and video production. The title of the video is as follows, 10 Common Mistakes New Filmmakers Make and How to Avoid Them, presented by Ryan Connolly and all his friends at Film Riot. And interestingly, I think there's a link between that and the news item we did a moment ago about video CVs. So the way in which this video is produced as well is, is a delight. Uh, they always tell very good story visually. But also Ryan Connolly sings sing sincerely, I have made all those mistakes and sometime, particularly when I'm rushed, I could make them again. But also mm. if for those of you watching this video, you can also see as I go through those mistakes, Roger and I wincing and crying as we remember <laughs> the many, many things that has gone wrong during you know, some of uh, many video productions. So please understand everybody, whilst this is obviously taken from film writers who are specialists in fiction work, you can use all that advice for video CVs, for um, you know, stream, live streaming and more. So I'm going to go through all 10. And feel free to nod and laugh as you hear them, Roger. So number one mistake people will make is that they're going to go ahead with their very first idea. If you want to be different and stand out, spend more time on ideas. Please understand that the very first ideas that come to mind for that Google CV or for that video case study, people have thought of it already. That's just the nature of mind and imagination. So go for the second or third idea and just surprise your audience. Number two audio pops on cuts particularly if you are using scenes or changing the position of your camera roger and i've been there before where as you go to the next scene you hear it all because there's different conditions different wind direction and so on and so forth so just listen to the video again and either uh, crossfade or cut the little pops out of the way Talking of audio, mistake number three, audio coming from only one channel, or frankly, Roger, uh, no audio at all. I've been there before <laughs> recording a scene, and I'm sure I was very, very, um, uh, no shame to say that. I'd probably blame somebody else for that. But yeah, check your audio, or make sure that you know you 
do the scene first, rewind, you don't have to rewind the cassette anymore, and listen again because it could be something with your audio. Number four, not committing to the moment, which is something that I've learned the hard way. So it's all to do with um, the flow of maybe physical expression, the flow of the tone of voice, the flow of the um, facial expression in between cuts. So you'll have, for example, uh, someone is walking you know, uh, in one scene, then you cut to the next scene where they're walking again and the pace is very, very different and the audience can tell. Or you and I would interview somebody for a video case study and they're so keen to basically for the whole experience to finish that they talk, they smile. But the moment they say the last word in the sentence, they stop smiling and you and I then have got the trouble of cutting and finding the, the right flow. So be very careful. Stay in the moment before, doing and after. Number five, not thinking about the transitions between scenes. So how are you going to move the audience from one location to the next or from one scene to the next? How are you going to make them understand that this, this is the same object that you're looking at from a different angle? So the transition must be part of your plan and you must storyboard or at least have a, a short list. Number six, choosing the wrong music for the emotions you want to convey. I made that mistake so many times, Roger, in my early attempts where the music is either too a bit or not enough. And it takes time, actually, would you agree, to choose the right music? Definitely, yeah. I mean, even if you're using something like Epidemic Sound, you know, I, I will listen to many, many tens, if not hundreds of pieces of music before I, I choose one for the vlogs. Absolutely. Now, number seven, this is one that um, in my days of running a video production company, when I was recording you know, that kind of statements from the CEO of video case studies, we end up with overly long and contrived dialogues. You've got to edit out all the extra lines that people don't need to hear. You know, it's a bit like uh, talking about a movie, you know, if you and I were in a scene, Roger, the volcano is about to erupt. What? You mean the volcano that everybody's been waiting? You know, and it goes on and on. And basically, you could have said all the same thing in, in, in three words. So cutting back on the dialogue before you start recording could be very, very important. But it can be difficult when the client is so keen to um, keep all the words in. Number eight, showing people and characters do mundane things that frankly do not add to the story. Overly long opening credits. It's getting rarer, but they're still there. People on YouTube in particular and more of, you know, the case of the online CV. It takes three, four minutes before the story begins. Don't do that. Just get in, grab the audience, take them into a different place and time, and they will love you for it. And then number 10, which is actually presented in a very, very funny way, but pacing because you're in love with the shot or you're in love with the dialogue or simply the, the, the cuts uh, are just too slow. So it's a bit like if we go back to our example of the volcano, you know, Roger would say, Pascal, the volcano is about to erupt. No, it's not. Yes, it is. We must do something about it. What can we do? And the pace is just completely off. And you see this, it reminds me a bit, Roger, you know, the very, very bad 80s TV series that we used to get actually from the US where uh, it was done on the cheap, clearly, and it was just all that, you know, very, very bad. So what actually Ryan says, which I thought was very clever, cut all your scene almost too fast. So literally take too much out and then bring them back to a much lower pace with a drag left and right, and you might actually be able to edit much, much faster. So those 10 mistakes have been done by everybody, including Roger and I and Ryan Connolly. And it's just delightful because I'm, I'm remembering, I'm, I'm back to where I was, you know, up and down the hills of Candidaro with my own video production. All this has happened to me and could happen to you if you want to avoid it. Ryan telling you, plan and plan and plan again. 
this is all such good stuff and i recognize all of those as you would expect i mean it let, let's face it when you're shooting footage it is hard to exclude it isn't it because you you shot it yourself and you think i love that shot but you know you have to ask yourself constantly does it add to the story does it take the viewer into the you know forward and in the narrative and if it doesn't you've got to be you've got to be quite ruthless and just chop it out. Even if it looks absolutely beautiful, you've got to chop it out. But, you know, one of the things that I find when I go out and do my vlogs is that I'll often forget some of these pieces of advice, Pascal. Um, I also forget things like, you know, if it's a piece of B-roll, I might need to change the setting on the camera to have a higher frame rate so that I can, I've got the potential to slow it down into slow motion later on. Or, you know, some of the, the framing ideas that you've always talked about, like making sure that things point to the, towards the horizon. I'll sometimes just forget all of those things until afterwards. And I'll think, oh, do you know what? I should have framed that in a different way. Or, oh, no, I should have changed the FPS on that. And I don't know whether I need to have a checklist or something that I take with me to tick off as I'm going. But all of these things are absolutely fine. It's just that in the heat of the filming moment, I often forget them. You, I know, get so much inspiration from the location. So... I think you could only take your plannings so far. Uh, I would agree, a, a checklist, and, and I'm, I'm the first one to not even practice what I preach. You know, I don't have a checklist, and I tend to try and memorize all of it. And the one that I learned the hard way, certainly because I did some fiction work, is a transition between scenes. So um, as you edit, you kind of go, this will not make sense to the audience, and having to reshoot is always you know, a huge, huge problem. Um, but of course, with the language of vlogging and, and, and you know, TikTok for arguments saying, you can afford to do some more brutal jump cuts. It's almost mm -hmm. part of what people expect. But for something that has more of a, um, of a kind of storyline, I'm thinking video case studies, the address of the CEO to, to the company and so on, you've, you've got to be ever so careful. But for me, the one that uh, has been a real problem is when we interview somebody and understand, you know, they're, they're not comfortable to talk to camera and we'll do the best we can. And literally, they would say the sentence, smile, but the, the moment they say the last word, suddenly the face just drops. And I'm like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? Because I'm going to have to cut away. Within a millisecond of them saying the last mm -hmm. word to something else, that's something else I don't have. So we've been having to almost coach people for an hour before we can record the hour that they didn't plan for, they didn't have. So yeah, it's uh, bringing some fun but also very scary memories all this <laughs> <laughs> so this week pascal i am it's this is almost a continuation of a theme to a certain extent a few weeks ago i looked at some of the best tv adverts that have been put together for the super bowl and i came across this week an article on smart blogger which was titled the 31 must click banner ads in 2022 now hands up hands up banner ads are not my favorite form of marketing communications i find a lot of them to be quite annoying um quite interruptive sometimes especially if they are those awful ones that slide around the screen and try to cover up the things that you're trying to read but we know that a lot of company you as use them and we've got all this programmatic algorithm stuff going on to make sure that the right ads re meet, meet, 
reach the right uh, potential customers. So I did get sucked into having a look at this particular article, and I'm sort of glad that I did, because it makes me look at banner ads in a bit of a different light. Now, this article is written by Suzanne Bertu. I hope, Suzanne, that I've um, pronounced your name correctly. Apologies if I haven't. But I'm not going to go through all 31 adverts. I'm sure you'll be absolutely delighted to know. But what Suzanne starts with is actually four rules that you probably need to make sure you follow when you're putting together a banner ad for a website. Number one is make sure your ad passes the blink test. So can the reader understand your offer in the blink of an eye? I mean, it literally is that quick. You've got that amount of time to catch somebody's attention. The second one is win the war of attention with your images. So again, what's going to stand out amongst all of that rubbish, I guess, all of that content? And it needs to be really relevant. It's got to tear the person who's on that page away from whatever it is they're reading and remember what I said about annoying adverts. It's got to tear their attention away in a good way rather than annoying them. It's got to actually engage them. You know my engage, don't enrage philosophy going on here. Second, show them this is for what is in it for them. You know, what are they going to get out of it? Um, and that could be you're buying a product, you take, you're um, signing up for a service, whatever it is. And of course, Perhaps the one that most people forget is tell them what you want them to do. What is the call to action? Is it a click through? Is it buy now? Whatever it might be. So those are the four rules that Suzanne comes up with. And then quite literally, she has got the 31 best banner ad examples. Now, as I say, I'm not going to go through all 31 of them. The, the general thing that stands out to me just like in the first one, which is from a company called E-Trade, which is all about um, trading on the stock market. And quite honestly, it's simplicity in itself. Zero dollar commission is what it says. Zero dollar commission. And of course, commissions in stock market trading is the thing that annoys a lot of people. So uh, they're focusing on that problem straight away. You don't, we don't pay commissions and you invest all your money straight away. Great idea. Simple execution. And I think when I scroll through all of these, and there are some companies I've never heard of, like Zelle, which looks like a, a mobile phone provider in a different country, country. Then I've got companies that I do recognize, obviously, like LinkedIn. And Liberty Mutual Insurance is, a, is an American insurance company. Um, going down the line, we've got DocuSign, we've got Capital One, we've got Square, DreamWorks, Glassdoor, LendingTree, KeyTrader, lots of different brands that I sometimes recognize. And there's some from Apple here that I'm noticing. The one thing that really stands out for me with all of these uh, these adverts that Suzanne has highlighted is that they are all dead simple. They do use words, obviously, but the words are kept to a minimum. They use visuals, but those visual visuals are arresting and, and quite striking and do tend to take your attention away from what you're reading, but in a good way, not an annoying way. So what I would suggest is if, like me, you're not a massive fan 
of banner advertising. And, and I would probably put banner advertising right down at the bottom of my list of preferred methods of marketing communication. But if this is the way that you get your business, then it is worth taking some time to just check these ones out and see the beauty of their simplicity. And they obviously work. You've done an amazing job to create quite a bit of intrigue here, which is perhaps a theme mm -hmm. for today's episode, because I began my life uh, as a digital marketer in creating countless number of banner ads to the point where mm -hmm. I was absolutely fed up with it, because <laughs> A, I didn't want this to be just my sole, my sole occupation. And I feel I should also congratulate Suzanne for the work, because that feels like it would have taken a lot of work to research, to gather, and to, to kind of review. I think I should congratulate Suzanne as well for the amount of work this would have taken, 31 banners, mm. therefore that means that she probably reviewed more than that, compiling this into, into an article. And yeah, you're right, maybe it's time to rethink and reconsider you know, a position which for me is born out of just um, uh, fatigue really from <laughs> a, the creation of the banner ad, but also you and I have spent maybe most of our time online dodging them and avoiding them. But if they are part and parcel of one's communication efforts, um, yeah, I'm definitely going to be looking to that. Thank you very much. Fantastic, fantastic. As always, the content spotlights really do make us think. And I just love that digging deeper into some of these um, articles, podcasts, and videos that we come, that we find each week. So now, Pascal, it's time for us to reflect on some marketing tech and apps. In this section of the show, Pascal and I review the latest marketing tech platforms, applications that will make our life as marketers easier. So Pascal, what have you got for us this week? So, so this week, it's almost like an online CV, video CV that we spoke about uh, the, in the news, but it's more like an online brochure. Let me give you the context. I found myself in a position recently to have to remind my customers about the many services that I've done, but imp importantly, the many online sessions, webinars, and more that I've been delivering for the last two years. At the time of this episode going out, Roger, we have in this rather sad anniversary that two years ago to the day, our UK Prime Minister was announcing national lockdown and my kind of work and yours was really completely turned upside down and became primarily online only. As a result of which I went through a bit of a uh, recce and rediscovered, because I'd forgotten so much, that I have, in the process of the last two years, invented and delivered five online keynote presentations. I have invented and delivered three new online courses and 14 one-off webinars, so like a two-hour session that I can stand alone, which is a lot, and to the point I've forgotten some. So I went ahead um, on Canva and created, essentially what I deemed to be an online brochure, almost like a flip book where you could go through the slides and make them just look look great. But eventually I kind of thought, hmm, what can I do? Because it's a PDF, it looks nice, don't get me wrong, uh, I've done my, my bit. And then I remembered that what you could do is almost transform this into a proper online brochure, a magazine where you can have the uh, flip page animated so it feels more like consulting that online documentation. So I've got two options for, for you, Roger. The first one is called Heyzine, spelled H-A-Y, Heyzine Zine, short for, and this is a PDF to Flipbook converter. So you upload your PDF and it will transform this into a flippable 
magazine. Literally with your mouse, you can drive the corner of the page and with the sound effects and everything, and you can just flick through the magazine. It could be a catalog, could be a brochure and so on. So it's fun. It's just a bit of interaction and you can embed that onto your website and at least show a bit of thought, a bit of effort and so on. But then I thought, hmm, what else could you do with this? You could, it would be ideal if people could click on the image to go maybe mm. to a dedicated page or maybe to click on the image and access more information. So for that, we need to look at option number two, which is Publitas. Publitas, I-T-A-S at the end. And what you can do then is back to this PDF, that becomes an interactive magazine where there's little icons like a plus signal so people can a symbol sorry so they can click on the plus and it expands a box where you've entered some more information of course you have hyperlinks to different part of your website the one that was really interesting for some of our viewers and listeners you can also add a shopping cart directly on this online magazine so that was kind of uh, born out of my needs and requirements, but wanted to also create a more of an interactive experience as opposed to let's go to flat PDF, so hazing or publitas. Really good ideas, those. And, and there's something amazing about that ability to flip things over, isn't it? Even though if it's on the screen, you know, and it's not a real book or a real magazine, I just love that ability to flip. So definitely worth checking those out. In fact, just like you, I've got loads of slides, I've got loads of pages and, and images that I've created over the last two years of lockdown, and definitely we'll have a look at, uh, at those, Pascal. Now, I have been recently updated updating, upgrading quite a lot of my tech. My phone contract came to an end and therefore I got myself the latest iPhone 13 Pro. Uh, my uh, my iPad, I upgraded that recently. My iPad must be about seven years old and the battery was lasting for about half an hour. So eventually I decided I had to upgrade it. But I've also recently um, upgraded my GoPro. I now have a GoPro Hero 10 Black as opposed to my GoPro Hero 7 Black. And of course, I've got all this old tech, which is still worth some money. So I used a good old-fashioned app, which I've been using for many years, called Music Magpie, to sell my older tech. Now, Music Magpie has a website, and the link is in the uh, in the show notes, but it also has an app for Android and iOS. And the great thing about Music Magpie is that they'll also take CDs, DVDs, Blu-rays, in addition to technology. And the great thing about it is, if it's a CD or a Blu-ray, is that you can use the built-in scanner on the app to scan the barcode of the item you want to get rid of, and it will tell you how much it's worth. So if you've got a massive stack of old CDs or Blu-rays that you don't want to um, keep, then it's a useful way of, of raising a bit of cash. And I sent all of this tech back, and the service for Music Magpie was really, really efficient. And it just made me want to look at other apps like this, other apps where you can start offloading your your old stuff and i know that uh, that your wife denise is really into selling old stuff via internet i think she mentioned the facebook uh, marketplace in a recent conversation so it, it just it just made me have a, a look at what else is out there but one thing i would say about music magpie is that everything is done really efficiently so when you agree to sell them something they'll send you a parcel um sticker uh which you can actually print off um at certain locations and it gets couriered back to them 
Now, interestingly enough, one of the items, they had Hermes come and collect it. Now, I know that Hermes get a really bad uh, press from a lot of people because they screw up quite a lot. Lo and behold, Hermes appear to lose this parcel with this old GoPro, which was worth about 150 quid. And a quick email to um, Music Magpie, and it was almost like, oh, Hermes have screwed up again. Don't worry, here's your 150 quid. And it was in my bank account before the end of the conversation. So the service from Music Magpie is really good, even if the couriers that they use aren't the best that they could be. Now, I was just faced with an absolute plethora of, of things. There's, there's apps out there which work in a similar way for selling books. You scan the barcode and it tells you how much the book is worth. I, interestingly enough, scan the barcode of Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans and find that I can sell old old copies of my book for £1.75, which I thought was it was worth a lot more than I expected it to be worth <laughs> secondhand, which was quite nice. Um, but the one that I wanted to focus in on, purely because it's one that I've seen a lot of, and again, it'll appeal to a certain um, type of customer, is one called Vinted, which is for selling old clothes. And again, you know, it could be Clothes for all ages, it could be baby clothes, teenagers' clothes, adult clothes, whatever it is. And again, it's really, really simple and it works on a courier basis or you or a parcel basis. And this is a these are really good ways, interactive ways of people being able to instead of just chucking something in the bin and it ending up in landfill or whatever it is, or clog, clogging up somewhere, this is a good way of, of getting rid of your old stuff and making a little bit of money. In the, at the same time. So the two examples I've got today, Music Magpie and Vinted, but there are loads out there. So go and if you've got loads of books, find one that sells books. If you've got loads of Blu-rays and you don't want to use Music Magpie, there are others available. But your point about convenience, it was almost back to the conversation we had in the news with Wagamamas, you know, this idea of uh, let us take care of some of the obstacles that would get in the mm -hmm. way of you taking action, such as sorting out the parcels and the delivery and the pickup and that kind of thing. So uh, for anyone out there, you know, when we think about the marketing tech and ad, but also some of the most successful brands, it's about there's always an element where you help the customer claim back time. And I, I think that's mm -hmm. an important lesson all around. Yeah, absolutely. That I like that. Help the customer claim back time. <laughs> some, there's some definitely something in that, Pascal. <laughs> Once again, we are surrounded by so many great apps, great platforms, great pieces of tech that make our lives as marketers a lot easier. And you know what? A lot of the time, we owe a great debt to the people who invented these apps. And sometimes, a lot of the technology that we use today had its roots way back in the past. So let's fire up the flux capacitor. Let's set the controls of the TARDIS and head back in time for this week in history. And in 1907, the first cabs with taximeters began operating in London. The taximeter gave the cab its modern name as the word derived from the French tax for price and the Greek metron for measure. Wow, in 1963, the Beatles released their first album, Please Please Me. In 1989, Exxon Valdez crashes, causing one of the worst oil spills in history. 11 million gallons of oil were spilled into Alaska's Prince William Sound. 
In 2005, Yahoo acquires the company Ludicorp along with its popular photo sharing site Flickr. To date, more than 10 billion images have been shared on Flickr by its 100 million registered users. And my goodness, you've got to be careful how you pronounce Flickr. Yeah. Now, I am a Flickr account holder, but I'm not contributing to their success. I, I will listen to add. But 2005 feels like an eternity ago. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. I think a bit like you, I, I do have a Flickr account. And it's probably one of those websites I've not logged into for probably about 10 years. So if I did try to log in, I no doubt wouldn't remember the password and would get quite cross having to try and change it. But it would be interesting to see what images are on there because I, at one point I was uploading quite a lot of stuff. Were you? So for me, I've used it very practically to create a photo diary on my website. So the Flickr account is linked to my website. It's a bit of a carousel. And I was meant to take pictures almost every week, every fortnight, to let people know what I was doing, where I was going, and who I was meeting. But of course, for the last two years, I didn't, want to, I didn't feel like taking pictures of me delivering webinars. So I, I might just find the motivation now that, the, A, the weather has improved vastly, and we slowly but surely came back to meeting in person to go back to that kind of uh, photo journaling that I was doing. <laughs> very, very quickly, talking of images and photos, I, I won't take too long on it because it's actually quite upsetting. But in 1989, I remember vividly, um, you know, the event that took place in Alaska, the Prince William Sound was obviously a, a hub for nature. You know, we, we mm -hmm. had, you had also the wildlife, uh, sea, air, and land. And do you remember that image that I think was captured by the Time magazine of this bird trying to take flight again after it landed on, on the oil? And it was just mm -hmm. covered, caked in the, in, the, in the oil, and it's trying to take off again. And it stayed with me forever because it was incredibly upsetting. And do you know that it took nearly... 30 to 40 years to um, to clean up, you know, the uh, and there's still bits of land where people dig, they'll find a pocket of oil in um, under the ground. Oh my goodness, it, it's it's really scary, isn't it? I, mm. I mean, I remember that clearly. That uh, This week in history is a bit of a double-edged sword, Pascal, because it sort of highlights the fact that we're getting older. Uh, <laughs> hence, I use, see, I use the word older there as opposed to old. Yeah older i mean i cannot believe that the beatles released their first album in 1963 you know that's before i was born but the reason i wanted to pick on this particular news item is that for me personally music has always shaped what i do i always have music playing if i'm in the car if i'm if i'm doing something around the house that's, i don't need to concentrate i'll have music playing you know, i have music playing in the morning when i'm having a shave for example or that that sort of thing and it was quite it was quite startling because i was a child of the 80s quite a lot of the albums that i bought in the 80s are now nearly 40 years old depending upon when they were released and there was a whole sort of uh, release of a 40th anniversary sort of special editions of albums over the last couple of years genesis by sorry duke by genesis was one of them uh, vienna by ultravox was another and they they get these nice 40, 40th anniversary releases with lots of extra stuff thrown in. But what I've also noticed recently as well is that quite a lot of the bands that I grew up with have all started releasing new stuff. So just this year, 
we've had releases from a band called Magnum, which I've been following for, for ages, a band called Jethro Tull, which have been around from the, from the 60s as well. Marillion, who I grew up with in the 1980s, have just released a new album, Tears for Fears, who is one of the um, 1980s sort of um, pre-boy band electronic uh, bands. They have just released a new album. So I, I just find that music sort of is a, always a backdrop to your life, but what I have found recently is the, that combination of seeing really old stuff reaching its 40th anniversary, but then those same groups actually still in existence releasing new stuff 40 years later. And the creativity is, is, is just incredible. Absolutely. I, I must say, you know, as your kind of co-host and, and uh, friend, I've been amazed by your, A, your knowledge of the music industry, but also your memory of all the things you can name album artists, and I just couldn't even match it. <laughs> but the other thing that I think is interesting, if you think about it, so 63 The Beatles released their first album. 60 years later, Paul McCartney is opening Glastonbury. Yes. Yeah, he give is, or take. That's right. Uh, you, you're not going to be able to name many bands and artists who could um, could do that. I mean, and but the contribution to the world of music by the UK is quite significant. And um, yeah. interestingly, every Friday night before we move on to Google Box with Denise, we go onto this channel. And sometimes you may remember I send you some little clips on Messenger, yeah. and we watch you know the sixties, seventies, and the eighties. And I have to tell you that there were some some bands and artists in the seventies where no wonder that they continue because their ability to craft a musical experience puts to shame the, the vast majority of, let's say, current and new bands. Because I think for me, it's that they, they were musicians as well as being performers and singers. And I think there's a lack of musicality, if that's a real term, in the kind of things that we hear nowadays. Absolutely right. And, uh, we're obviously coming up to the 40th anniversary of Live Aid. That will be in wow. 2025. So, yeah, three years away, I guess. But the 40th anniversary of Live And funnily enough, there's again, there's quite a lot of younger people doing these reaction videos to Live Aid. Uh, and I was actually watching one guy last night reacting to Queen's performance at Live Aid, which, again, we've said before on the show, is recognized as one of the greatest rock performances of, of 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 ever and and this young guy must have only been about 19 or 20 he was genuinely genuinely overwrought with emotion at freddie mercury's performance and i mean i can't get my head around somebody not having seen that performance before <laughs> but yeah. the fact the fact that it can still you know create such an emotional reaction in a young a young lad like that again it, yeah it's yeah. it's it really brings home to you the amount of incredible talent we've had in the uk music industry over the last 40 years absolutely now before this turned into the older gigs and the marketing podcast <laughs> very very quickly just to prove that no matter your age you can learn something new i had no idea that that's why we call the taxi the taxi um, so I'm delighted to learn something all. new today. <laughs> Not at all. I had no idea about that. I thought it was um, it was something else. Something you know. I didn't even know it came from the word price. That's quite interesting. Very interesting stuff. And from Fran France as well. I know. <laughs> to uh, put the tin lid on it. So as always, we 
we owe such a massive debt to what happened in the past. It shaped what we now have in the present. Now let's move on, Pascal. Let's do some more shouting out, this time for creators in the creator shout out section of the show. So, Pascal, who are you going to give a shout-out to this week? So, this week, I want to give Richard Tubb a shout-out for a bit of content that is really, truly impressive. Now, Richard Tubb is the MSB go-to consultant and speaker, is the author of many video and blog series, but recently he had a season on Tub Talk, his podcast, looking at women in tech and trying to redress the imbalance currently in existence about the presence of women, as you and I have discussed before, in board position across industries, but also in the world of technology. So the, the, the season, the podcast season was released and has t- taken place um, a few months ago and I was completed a few months ago. But what Richard did, uh, both as a marketing tactic but also as a content marketing endeavor, he used the recent International Women's Day to launch a ebook version of the podcast uh, episode. And I just think it's such a clever thing to do. Because tendency would be to repurpose down, I would say, you know, a podcast, we do extracts, we use an extract to tease people to listen to the full version. But so rarely do people actually celebrate the end of a podcast season with creating a premium product, in this case, the Women in Tech ebook. And he worked closely with, obviously, the creators and the people that he, he, he talks about. And I just think that it's a good example to follow. Uh, it's impressed me in terms of the timeliness, in terms of the attention to detail and the execution. So my shout-out this week is to Richard Tubb and his team for the Women in Tech ebook celebrating the end of the podcast season. Fantastic. It really is a quality piece of content. So well done, Richard. Now, mine's quite an interesting shout out this week. I'm going to shout out a lady I am connected to on LinkedIn. She's called Andrea Burns. And I want to thank Andrea a lot for effectively drawing my attention to a business that I'd never heard of before, but I'm glad that she did draw my attention to it. Now, this business um, is called 10x9, or maybe it's 10, 10 times 9. I don't know how you pronounce it, 10x9.com. Now, do you remember on the show way back, I can't remember which episode it is, I talked about a podcast called The Moth. And The Moth is a series of live shows across the world where people stand up and tell stories, you know, real stories told by real people. Now, 10 10 times 9, 10x9, is a sort of version of The Moth. It's quite similar. But the idea is that you've got these live shows in venues around UK and the world, in fact, and you have nine people, each of which have 10 minutes to tell a story. And that's it. It's dead simple. And the more I've dug into this 10 times 9, the more I see the great content that they have. They have a podcast, just like The Moth does. They have a YouTube channel. In fact, some of the the events, the actual local events themselves, have their own YouTube channels. And 10 times 9 is also um, something that you can use, a bit like TEDx, to create your own event in your own 
um, location so I could get all the branding material and I could run a 10 times 9 event here in Edinburgh. You could do the same down in Durham or Newcastle. And Andrea, who, who effectively has pointed me to this website, has recently done an event in Newry in Northern Ireland. And I've just been watching some of the some of the videos and listening to some of the podcasts. And it's I just love people telling stories. And for a long time, the moth has been my almost like go-to story listening app on the internet. Whereas now I've now got this 10 times 9. And, and there is something in the back of my head that's almost thinking maybe I'd quite like to put one of these events on myself. So my shout out is to Andrea for showing me this new storytelling website. But also, Andrea, well done as well for setting up your own event in Newry in Northern Ireland. Super. Do you know what's interesting about this week's shout outs? They are actually both very unusual endeavors in their own right. And we are not choose the shout-outs to be a source of inspiration. In fact, when we do mm-hmm. the sharing every week on social media, we say thanks for the inspiration. And yeah. those two selections this week have just hit the mark for me. Absolutely. Inspiring stuff from both of our creator shout-outs. Okay, Pascal, we threatened to do this way back at the start of the show. We are going to move into our film marketing section of the show. But this week, we're going to be talking about a TV series that's coming to Amazon in the autumn. Shall we move into film marketing? Well, coming in autumn 2022, and this has been teased for so many years, we're getting so excited about this, The Rings of Power, the new prequel TV series to Lord of the Rings, coming to Amazon in autumn 2022. Pascal, let's watch the trailer. Haven't you ever wondered... What else is out there? There's wonders in this world beyond our wandering. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Doesn't this look good? I think, haven't they said that this will be the most expensive TV series of all time? More expensive than Game of Thrones, obviously. Well, according to the press releases, um, Amazon have gone for five seasons. So we're going to have, you know, five oh, series uh, of the rings. Interesting. We can discuss whether or not they're all going to be called Rings of Power. But the figure that's been mentioned is to the tune of 200 million dollars per season times five it's a billion so yeah Yeah. this is allegedly the most expensive tv series ever until maybe the next one but also i would argue the most anticipated one because fans have heard about we've had the murmurs literally the whispers of this happening in 2017-18 yeah absolutely and i I mean a billion pounds although (laughs) i suppose that's just fiddling small change for jeff bezos isn't it but it's a staggering amount of money 
So I can detect from your reaction that you're looking forward to going back to Middle Earth. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, Pascal, we just talked about before the 40th anniversary of some of the the, the music that I grew up with. I, I can't believe that it's it's over 20 years now since the first of the Lord of the Rings films was released. And, and like you, I frequently go back to and watch those films again and and. and Every time I watch them, marvel at the special effects, marvel at the landscapes. I mean, the landscapes were just incredible on their own, weren't they? And so to, yes, to get back there and to see it all again, brought up to date, but new intriguing storylines, really can't wait for this. You're absolutely right. For me, the, the landscape, which um, interestingly, Lord of the Rings was reviewed as part of film marketing in one of the early episodes, is almost like a, another character as part of mm-hmm. what we do. I watch Lord of the Rings once a year, as, as you know, and every time you get caught up in the story, the emotions and so on, and therefore what I'm hoping, and there's no reason to doubt that, that wouldn't be the case, that we're going to be transported again with new characters new stories now the one thing that is interesting and that might be a tougher watch for non-fans i would say this takes place thousands of years before the hobbit and the lord of the rings yeah and this is this is an interesting thing isn't it and and, and again it, they're going to have to get the balance absolutely right here because yes they want to please fans like us who know the characters of lord of the rings and have read the books and watched the films many 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 times but they also have to entice in the casual viewer now i i know at the same time that there is going to be a game of thrones prequel type series set many hundreds of years before the uh, timeline of the Game of Thrones series that we all watched over the last decade. And the danger, I guess, is that they ha- they put too many references into the story to keep fans like you and I happy, that it alienates the potential new audience. And let's face it, a story set thousands of years before the events of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings actually probably doesn't need to have that many references to the story that we we all know and love. You know, the ring might be in there somehow, the forging of the ring or, or that sort of thing. But I guess they've just got to get that balance right. For now, all we can do is speculate, as people have done mm. for a very, very long time. As we move on to talking about the marketing campaign, I'm going to literally put to you that this is an example of the art of the intrigue and anticipation. And this could be, uh, in jest, you know, the word of mouth marketing campaign of all marketing campaigns, because mm. interestingly, compared to maybe other studios or the franchises we and I've discussed, it's been so controlled, but in a good way that um, it's been left to the fans and more to do the marketing for, you know, Amazon Prime. So it all began on the 13th of February, 2019. I mean, literally 2019 is that long ago. And the Lord of the Rings on Prime, L-O-T-R on Prime, which has become almost like the uh, the, the hashtag and, and the, the name for all the accounts to have on social media. Uh, they released just one quote from J.R.R. Tolkien. I wisely started with a map. That's geniusly simple, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And if you're the fan, you know that G.R.R. Tolkien's um, 
way of working was always to draw the map first, almost like having a plan, a storyboard, and then look at the characters and uh, try to relation. And then two days later, on the 15th of February 2019, of course, a map of Middle-earth, but that was looked like it was torn and tatty, perhaps it'd been used by some of our heroes, was released on the Amazon.com uh, website. And you could go in, you could scan, you could print, you could download. There was not much in terms of interactivity, but that was enough to begin this process of the fans and more discussing what all would be included and not. I mean, again, the map is such an integral part of the of the Lord of the Rings ethos, mythos, isn't it? We, us fans, just recognise all of those locations. We know where the Lonely Mountain is. We know where the Mirkwood is, and, and we know where the Shire is. It, it's just, it's just like a real place, isn't it? Even though it's fiction. I mean, I reckon I know this map more than I do even where I live in, in real life. <laughs> I studied yeah. it so many times. I used to play the role-playing game in my younger days. I played the video game. I read the books. I've got them. I had the map once as a um, – I still have it as a Christmas present from Denise. So, yeah, you're right. And it's also the calligraphy. It's the way which the mountains are represented and the um, and, and the trees and so on. It's it's a language. Now, we had to wait a bit longer. And it wasn't until the, the end of July 2019 that the um, production team released a featured video – and what I liked about it, Roger, which I know you did as well, it was almost like a vlog style. So it wasn't particularly polished and promotional in nature. It was more someone had taken lots of different scenes on the mobile phone, and this had been pulled together. And what they were doing using text and that very unique calligraphy that is linked to the world of J.R.R. Tolkien, they were highlighting the credentials of the team members, which films they worked on or which costume they made. They also... Make sure that people knew that uh, illustrator John Howe has been working with the Jacksons on the others was also part of that um, kind of um, think tank to to get it right. And it feels to me that they were already doing quite a bit to try and reassure the fans that they were not going to mess this up. Yeah, and again, I, I can't get my head around the fact that this featurette was released nearly three years ago. I mean, the... the, the uh, such a massive production obviously has taken time and it undoubtedly will have been affected by the pandemic. But you are right. This is intrigue, creating that intrigue over such a long period. You know, it, it's incredible. They started so long ago. For me, this is now becoming an example I share with my customers. So case in point, only yesterday, somebody said to me, I, I would like to do a promotional video for my business, but I don't want to be on camera. I don't want to talk on camera. It's not for me and so on and so forth. And literally, because I'd done the research, I went, I tell you what, let me show you something. So mm. uh, we watched this video called Meet Our Fellowship. And I said, so there's no voice. No one's talking to camera. It's uh, scenes animated to text and music and in the space of one minute 45 seconds you can say everything that was to say about the business and they absolutely loved it plus they were they were delighted to to, to know more about you know the Lord of the Rings TV series now to your point about time and space it took about two years for the next big marketing push and in between those two years we had regular press releases of course by the casting the locations and so on there was even 
reference to, oh, look at this, we finished season one in New Zealand, we're going to do season two in the UK, which created also a news report. They also took the trouble to celebrate um, Tolkien um, Reading Day, which is on 25th of March every year. So it was still the essential, but nothing major, until two years later, almost, on the 2nd of August 2021, the first image, literally just an image, was released to the internet and to the fan base. And what a beautiful image that is. I mean, it's obviously a photograph, but it almost could be a painting. Um, Again, it has that incredible landscape that we've talked about before, staggering mountains, but glorious green um, pastures in the front, great sunset. It's a beautiful, beautiful image. And again, to me, it it looks like it was part, it's part of the Lord of the Rings mythos straight away. It's got that look and feel that the Peter Jackson films had straight away. So that consistency on the hopefully that continuity will be there in the imagery. I believe it was a painting when I first saw it, Roger, to your point. Yeah. And, and interestingly, um, that led to, I mean, I th- when I say thousands, I am not overstating it. Thousands of reaction videos, thousands of blog articles and podcasts about just one image which is incredible Mm. and what they do very cleverly i think by the production team the marketing team is that they waited 24 hours and then they officially confirmed that this was a still a real image from episode one season one so they let (laughs) the the fan base and more and the, the media kind of speculate and then they don't leave you just hanging 24 hours later they say yeah you're right and it's from season one however we still don't have the name and the title of this series. Yeah, everybody's on the edge of the seat saying, come on, come on, come on, tell us more, tell us more. Do you have to wait for the 19th of January 2022? So it's a long time from the th- August 2021 to uh, 2022. And they release what they call the title announcement video, which you and I, Richard, and all the others, we went absolutely crazy on, on Messenger. Have you seen it yet? Um, I have never seen or maybe I'm forgetting, but I don't remember seeing such a dramatic uh, kind of uh, effort with regard to just announcing the title of a series. I can't think of it ever happening before. I'm sure it has, but again, it's just the name of the series. That That's not that remarkable, is it? Well, of course it is. And again, an amazing example of just creating that tension and that longing that people have to see this. So, of course, people are reacting to actually how beautiful, once again, this title announcement video is. Very dramatic, and actually, but also reacting to the name, The Rings of Power. And certainly, oh, the relief that we are going to be looking at this era in the whole kind of saga of the creation of the rings for the different races. And, of course, the one ring that would be worn by Sauron. And what I thought was interesting, and as a learning point for all of us, so they had a very visual um, title announcement, they also had a text-only version on social media, which I thought was interesting. And the text-only version it literally is revealing the title in multiple language, you know, French, mm-hmm. Spanish, Japanese, um, Norwegian, and so on. But of course, because it is Lord of the Rings, the final version is Elvish. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, and again, it's got that re- immediately recognizable style that we all know. 
Do you know, it's a style that I remember when I used to buy the role-playing games, you could buy, you had the box set, which was the, the starter pack, but then you would buy the different adventures in, in Lori and Moria and so on. And it was always the calligraphy and the dramatic image on the front cover of that adventure pack that used to suck me in. So we don't have to wait much longer. I'm pleased to, to know that on the 3rd of February, they begin with part one, or I'm going to call the character posters campaign. And what they've done very cleverly, Roger, and you're going to discuss it in the green room. So they are, I mean, one of the drawbacks, I suppose, sometimes the internet is that the spoilers that you can't control, such as IMDb, revealing um, actors and casting before you've done anything else. So they went ahead and revealed that there would be, altogether for season one, 23 main characters. Each character has a poster but that poster is designed in such a way that all is revealed is the the hands, the, the costumes, but you don't see, obviously, the person. And each, every one of the characters are holding an object. And what they've done, they've sent only one or a handful of posters to bloggers, YouTubers, and podcasters. So nobody had all 23, Roger. And yeah. literally, the internet just went wild. It's almost like a, it's almost like a, you know, those card collecting um, things that take over schoolyards where people try to collect all the cards in a set, but there's always a couple of the cards that are really, really rare, and nobody ever, ever, ever gets them. Or <laughs> That's if they right. Do get them, you know, they're really, really, you know, they can barter with them. But I mean, again, such a great idea. Uh, again, to raise interest, to raise speculation. But again, the genius of sending out some of them but not all of them to the internet bloggers youtubers and podcasters the word of mouth that that will create the speculation videos the analysis video i mean there were there, were, there are people on youtube spending hours just going into one of these posters talking about the color of the apple and the fact that that person's fingernails are dirty you know they, they're going into it with that level of geekiness detail but what a great way of creating even more anticipation and speculation absolutely and there was definitely one poster when, when i say poster by the way roger i'm sure to agree they are you know works of art i would happily no, have that framed in my house yeah, absolutely right. And and this this one that everyone's talking about with the the uh steel gloved hand with the spikes on the knuckles holding a sword. Are we are we saying that that's Sauron? Or is it an Asgul? Yeah. So that's essentially the, the debate. Yeah. Is it an Asgul or is it Sauron? And we don't know because um the production team has not confirmed. So no. I say this is part one because we're going to come back to it. But what they did then a few days later on the 7th of February 2022, sorry, there was a 10 seconds teaser animation of the text with the following phrase, the teaser trailer will arrive precisely when it means to. <laughs> now of course if you're not seen Lord of the Rings uh, this will escape you but this is a phrase uh, you know from Gandalf when it arrives in um, you know to meet Frodo Bilbo and the birthday party absolutely right but again it's it's all creating that anticipation and it's yeah. within the mythos of the show that's why I love it so much we move then suddenly, much to a really surprise, from the online world to the print world because on the 10th mm -hmm. of February, three days after announcing that there is a teaser trailer that will arrive precisely when it means to, there is the Vanity Fair interview 
which again um, was like wildfire on the internet because within this interview we had a first exclusive look of scenes you know from the movie and again what a stunning photography and the producers and showrunners were revealing just a bit more but not enough to really um, spoil anything in terms of their approach what the, the challenges and so on but also by that time between the posters the amdbs and the interviews we know that we're going to have um, characters like galadriel elrond and a few others are going to be probably quite grounding for the fans and the casual viewer yeah and, and i guess after all of those poster images where we all we got to see was the clothes and the hands, you know, a little bit of relief that we can actually see the face of one of the characters. We have to wait one week from the little teaser post for the 14th of February when the teaser trailer is released at the same time around the world in different languages which again uh, i was very impressed you know there was a french version spanish version there was all sort of versions and for viewers and listeners roger and i and all our friends went completely mad to talk about it for our <laughs> entire day um that's how you produce and cut a teaser trailer right absolutely absolutely and of course funnily enough it was shown during the super bowl as well wasn't it uh, which which is a nod back to a few weeks ago when i was talking about all the tv advertise uh, adverts that were shown at super bowl this year yeah, so this trailer was shown on the Super Bowl, they were shown worldwide. They also organised a watch party live with the OneRing.net, which is the number one fan-based um, website. I mean, they, they launched yeah. uh, at the time of Lord of the Rings, you know, 20 years ago, bless them. Uh, it's extraordinary that they managed to, A, secure the trust and, and belief that Prime Video could partner with them. I don't think I've seen before a brand like Prime Stroke Amazon partner with essentially a um, fan base uh, initiative run by volunteers before but i think that they obviously know that with a series like this which has such you know the 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 the, the brand of lord of the rings tolkien hobbits that sort of thing has such a massive following i mean it must be as big a following as star wars has and marvel if not bigger amongst all age groups the 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 obvious way is to tap into that almost fanatical fan base and use them to promote what's what's to come what is interesting then soon after we move into part two of the character posters campaign now why am i saying this because i think there's something really clever they've done or very thoughtful which is not leaving people not knowing for too long so they released the posters as they've done you know bit by bit but very very soon they start to confirm or not what the characters' names are and the actors mm. associated with them. So they, mm. particularly on Instagram, they've done so, where now if you go back to a post that was published a month ago, you will see that Amazon Prime have edited the post to add the name. So there's one I've taken randomly where we now know that a character called Branin would be played by Nazanin Bionadi. And mm. you still, so what we are seeing now is maybe every other day, Every so often, they're releasing the information. I'm guessing they're going to leave it till the very, very last in terms of that character. Is it Sauron? Is it an Asgore? Mm -hmm. Just to keep the anticipation mm -hmm. going. But I just like the idea that, you know, the fans, there's a bit of a game going on and people know and we kind of have fun with it. But we talked a moment ago about the live watch party. It didn't just mm. stop there. So what people uh, did and Prime Video did was people who watched the teaser trailer could send their reaction video. You mentioned that they are very, very popular nowadays. And this was actually edited together 
and released on the internet. So now you had reactions to the reaction videos, um, <laughs> sponsored literally by Prime Video and the OneRing.net. Absolutely right. I mean, and again, I, I mentioned reaction videos before when I was talking about Live Aid, but again, it's that raw, the raw power of seeing real people like us reacting to this stuff. I mean, you know, some of it, people are crying. Uh, tears of joy, presumably, as opposed to tears of sadness. But, you know, it, it really is creating such a massive emotion. Now, we mentioned that the very first post on Twitter was on the 13th of February 2019. You mm -hmm. mentioned that if you think about it, people, that's, you know, kind of um, three years ago. And the very last post on the 16th of February 2022 is actually something that we should do more often, which is celebrate the success. And mm. you have a simple image, which is, I think, the last scene from the teaser trailer, which reads 257 million views worldwide in 24 hours. And interestingly, Roger, since then, nothing. <laughs> They really are keeping us on the edge of our <laughs> seats, aren't they? I mean, they've already created so much speculation and anticipation, and we've still got another six months to go before this series hits the screens. And I just can't wait to see what else they've got to come as part of the marketing campaign before we even get to seeing the series itself. Absolutely. So listen, uh, for everyone, thank you so much for allowing us to do something a bit different, which is to react and review a marketing campaign that has just began, although granted it has been going on for three years, but I think the last few months are really what seems to count. And what I suggest we do is we revisit Middle Earth and the Rings of Power in September after the release of episode one that we know is called Shadow of the Past. Shadow of the Past. Fantastic. Pascal, yeah, I really enjoyed doing that because, again, we, we're demonstrating how we're being caught up by the actual marketing excitement ourselves. We're actually living through it, whereas a lot of the time we're reviewing marketing campaigns of films that have already been released, sometimes, you know, many, many years in the past. So I've really enjoyed that different approach to this particular campaign so everyone thank you so much once again for listening or watching two geeks and a marketing the podcast pascal and i really do appreciate you taking the time to watching or listening to the show until the next episode please go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right i was roger edwards and he was pascal fintoni Bye.